This morning we're going to be talking for a few moments about the Lordship of Christ. If you have this bulletin insert or this bulletin, this outline, you might want to take it. Anybody here not have one? We'll try to get one to you if you lift your hands. I see some hands going up. So they're going to come through, please, with those. If Are there any left? If there are, please. Um, as uh, Robbie comes by in a moment, if you need one, please lift your hand and she can pass that to you. On the front of it, it says, he said, what? Sometimes that's the way people react when they find out there are certain things that our Lord has said. Shocking statements of Jesus they are to them. But if we'll read the Bible, we'll find out the Lord says a lot about a lot. Amen. And sometimes it's rather shocking when people find that out. The Lordship of Christ is, as we shall see, a mega doctrine in the Bible. It's big. In fact, one could argue that nothing in the Bible eclipses this subject in importance. Unless it would be, of course, the doctrine of salvation, coming to Christ and being born again. However, Jesus, being Lord, is closely allied with the experience of our being born again. Amen? You, you, he can't be your Lord until you're saved. But once you're saved and commit your life to Jesus, you ask him to forgive you of your sin, that doesn't necessarily make him Lord, as we're going to see today. And so we're going to give attention to this. Uh, when you make him Lord, you really become a follower, a disciple. You committed to the very end. And this is an extremely important topic for us today. Now, what has prompted this um, sermon today, as we're working through the Bible, we come today to 1 Corinthians. We're going to read our text in a few moments, but before we do, I would like to give some attention to this word um, that is of great importance to us today. Would you think, and I've, I've, I've intentionally provided this for you in writing because I feel like we may need to go back and revisit some of this a little later. Uh, in our own time, maybe in our, our prayer time, Bible study time at home. Uh, I wanted you to have this so you could go back and rethink some of it if need be. Would you think that a word which occurs over 8,000 times in the Bible would probably be an important word? What do you think? I would think so. I was astounded, to be honest with you, in study when I researched how many times this word we're going to be talking about was found in the Bible. Now, we're not talking about just any word, not a or the or 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 some of those, but real words. This is a substantive word. And in Strong's Concordance, some of you may not be familiar with Strong's, but it's a book about this thick. It's a big book, and it's about this thick. And the, the print is so small that I almost need a magnifying glass to see it. And it's filled with three columns on every page. It is a massive book of nothing but little lines showing you where certain words are found in the Scripture. In Strong's Concordance of the Bible, this word occupies 23 pages. 65 columns total in print so small you can barely read it. Now the word God, how many think that's an important word? It is an important word. The word God appears in the Bible just over 4,000 times. So what in the world is a word that appears twice as many times as the word God in the Bible? I think it's very significant. And it's the word Lord. L-O-R. 
A-R-D. It appears over 8,000 times in the Bible. In the Old Testament Hebrew, the word is actually what is called a tetragrammaton. That's not important that you remember this, but I feel like I need to give some information so you'll know that what we're actually talking about is legit. You don't have to pronounce it. You don't have to even remember it. But we're just trying to give some credits and basis for what we're talking about today. In the Old Testament Hebrew, the word is actually what is called the tetragrammatons. Four letters from the Hebrew. Bring that slide up for us if you would. And if you'll notice at the top of the page, there's a, a capital Y, capital H, capital V, and a capital H. That is called the the tetragrammaton. Four letters from the Hebrew. It's the name of God in Hebrew. Well, not actually because we couldn't recognize what it was if we put it up in Hebrew. It would look like chicken scratch to us or Chinese. It, it wouldn't make any sense at all to us. So the Hebrew characters are transliterated into English characters as much as possible. And that's the way it looks. Y-H-V-A, the name of God in the Old Testament. But it was considered too sacred to be pronounced. Anybody remember hearing that before? The Jews wouldn't even pronounce the name of God. And, and so a lot of times, even now, you look at Jewish writers who write about the word and theology and so forth. They won't even spell G-O-D. They'll put G and a dash and then a D. They won't even spell it. Now that, that whole idea is based on the idea that God said, you shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. I wish we had a little bit more respect for the name of God than what we do. Amen? Because on a daily basis, you hear God's name taken in vain. Sometimes even among Christians, we throw his name around like it means nothing. Oh my God, that's taking his name in vain. Now, don't stone the messenger, just listen to the message. We throw it around like it's, it's just any old word. His name is not just any old word. Amen? And the Bible teaches, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So we need to be careful about that. Again, the Hebrews wouldn't even say it. But they had this this uh, tetragrammaton that they came up with. Later, when they began to try to identify God without saying his name, they came up with another word, Adonai or Adonai. You've heard that name. There are Christian songs that are written with the word Adonai in them. So the word Adonai there, and they they felt that it was okay to pronounce that word because it meant master, and they knew when that word was spoken, they were talking about God, but they didn't have to say God's name, and therefore they couldn't ever mess up and take his name in vain. So what happened after a period of time, if you'll notice the A and the O um, and the A and Adonai, if you take those those vowels and put them between the consonants up above it, you'll come up with, with that Y-A-H-O-V-A-H, Yehovah. Now, we all know that letters are pronounced differently in different languages and different cultures. For instance, for, for instance, if you are just a good old country boy or you're just a good old country girl, uh, from Wake County, North Carolina, and you see this word on a page, J-E-S-U-S, how do you pronounce that word? Jesus. You just say Jesus. That's, that's no big deal. But if you are Hispanic and you see that J-E-S-U-S, how do they pronounce it? 
Jesus, exactly right. It's the same thing you see on the screen there. So this Yehovah eventually became Jehovah, as, as the way it's translated in our Bible. And isn't that quite a conundrum of names there we see there? Y-H-V-A and then Adonai and then Yehovah and then Jehovah. Do you think anybody might get just a tad bit confused with trying to distinguish between all those when they were talking about God? So the King James translators, when they translated the name of the Lord and Adonai or Adana and Yehovah and Jehovah, when they just tried to make this in a, a way that we could all understand it, there's something in your Bible that you have seen. It is found there over 8,000 times. And here's what it looks like in your Bible. Capital L. Capital O, capital R, capital D. Have you ever noticed that word in your Bible, Lord, in all caps? Most of the time they're in smaller letters, but they're all caps. And whenever you see that word in all caps, Lord, this is what it's talking about. It's talking about Jehovah, Yahweh, Adonai, the God of the Bible, uh, the master of all, the creator of all. The word Lord, again, is found over 8,000 times in the Bible. The first time it's found, let me just read it for you. You don't have to look it up. It's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, where the Bible says, This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And then it says a little bit later, For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth. In verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the earth. In verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden, and the Lord God made every tree grow. And then you start reading that one time after another as you go through the book of Genesis. The Lord God, 8,000 times in Scripture. The New Testament word, a Greek word, is the word kurios. I didn't put it on the screen. K-U-R-I-O-S. The following definitions are taken from several sources to help us understand what Lord really means. Now, we could never, I don't think, understand the Lordship of Christ if we don't even know what Lord means. Would you agree? And so, to understand what Lord actually means, it means self-existent, eternal, Jehovah, supremacy, supreme in authority, controller, God, Lord, Master. Synonyms that are listed in the dictionary as synonyms for the word Lord are Master, Ruler, chief, superior, monarch, sovereign, king, emperor, prince, governor, commander. And you know what? Our attitude towards our Lord should rightly be, your wish is my command, not God is my co-pilot. Now what's the difference between those two? To say to the Lord and to have an attitude towards the Lord that says, your wish, Lord, is my command. Whatever you want, Lord, that's what I want. Whatever you desire in my life, Lord, that's what I desire. Whatever you want me to do, Lord, that's what I want to do. Whatever you want me to be, Lord, that's what I want to be. Because you are my Lord. You are my master. You are my creator. You are my controller. You are the one who calls the shots in my life. So it's not in my life as a Christian it's not like Burger King, have it your way. 
Never in the life of a Christian is that. Listen, when you give your life to the Lord Jesus, when you become a Christian, it's not about you anymore. It's about being surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. Amen. It's about doing what He leads you to do, what He wants you to do, what He calls you to do. Now, I know maybe... Maybe, just maybe, I could understand that in a different sense than some of you do. But as anybody who has been called into ministry and has wrestled with that and fought that and resisted that and then eventually had to yield to that can say amen to this. Because when he, when he calls you, when he draws you to himself, when he's calling you, for instance, into ministry and you say no, I'm going to tell you by experience, you're going to have a long road to hoe until you say yes. You're not going to be happy. You're going to be miserable. Your life's not going to amount to anything. You're just going to be, you're just going to be like, I, and then finally you're going to say, okay, Lord, okay, I'll do it. And I, I had to come to that point one Sunday night. In a church in High Point, North Carolina. At the end of the service, when they stood up to sing, Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow as a closing hymn. It hit me like a ton of bricks, and I had to get up off the seat and come down to the altar and tell the Lord, Okay, I give up, Lord. Where You lead me, I will follow. Did I want to be a pastor? No. Had I planned to be a pastor? No. Was it my dream? No. But finally, I had to say yes to the Lord. Because He's the, if I'm going to be a Christian and I'm going to obey Him, I'm going to have to go where He leads. Do what he says. Be what he says I'm going to be. Not what I had planned to be. But in a measure of speaking, that's true for all of us. If he's going to be Lord in our life, we're going to have to surrender to him. It's not about just saying, Lord, please forgive me of my sins. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. I believe you're going to forgive me, Lord. I confess. And then the Bible says if we do all that, He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness and He will save us. If you believe that, say amen. That's not the end though. That's only the beginning. Now comes the commitment. Now comes the walking. Now comes the saying, yes, Lord. Now comes the, the time when you're, you're not conformed to the world anymore, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your, your talk changes, your walk changes, your preferences change as you let the Lordship of Jesus begin to guide your life. Now, the dictionary says at the top of the next page, the word Lord means a person or deity who has authority, control, or power over others. Acting like a master, chief, or a ruler. I will stand here today and tell you that I have absolutely no qualms at all with saying that the Lord is my controller. The Lord is my master. The Lord is my savior. The Lord is my commander. All those things. The Lord are all those things to me. I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm not ashamed that I'm not in control of my life. As a matter of fact, I would be ashamed to be a Christian and say, I'm in control of my life. Because what you need to be is in allowing the Lord to control your life and be in surrender to the Lord. Amen? That's what the Bible teaches us. So 8,000 times in the Bible, I'm still mesmerized by that number. I'm still in awe of that number. This morning I was thinking about how many is 8,000 times? So I thought there's 365 days a year. If I were to remind myself 
take one of the 8,000 times in the scripture that the word Lord is used. And if I would take one of those and remind myself every day that he is Lord, do you know how many years it's going to take me before I've used them all? 22 years. Every day reminding myself that he's Lord. If I went through the Bible and taking that word everywhere it's found, it'd take me 22 years to get through. I'm going to tell you, this is important. This is big. I, it, I can't think of anything any bigger other than praying the prayer of salvation. I can't think of anything any bigger than the Lordship of Christ. As we look at what that means. Now, Jesus asked a very direct question in Luke six forty six. Jesus said, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Isn't that a, isn't that a powerful thing for Jesus to say? As he looked at his disciples and he would say to them, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do the things that I say? Because the word Lord simply means that you acknowledge I am who I am and you're supposed to do what I'm saying. Amen. So uh, if, if you read the rest of that passage, you'll find out in chapter Luke that this question leads our Lord into a time of teaching where he explains what happens when a man does what he says. Jesus says, now I'll tell you what it's like. If you'll call me Lord, I'll tell you what it's like. It's like a man, if he hears my sayings and does them, it's like a man who builds his house upon a rock. And then when the storms come, that house stands. That house is secure because it's been built on the sayings that I told him. But he says, now the man who will not build, who will not listen to what I say, the man who will not keep my words is like a man who builds his house on the sand. And then the floods come and the storms come and the house is washed away. And that's what Jesus said. Whether we acknowledge him as Lord or not is a big deal because Christianity will work. Life will work. God's promises will work when we have him as Lord of our lives. But if we're just playing games and wearing a mask, you know what the biblical word for a mask is, right? Hypocrite. Just wearing the mask, just going through the motions. If he's not really Lord of our lives... I can tell you from experience, because I've been there, like most of us have, it just ain't working right, is it? We have to make him Lord of our lives. That is, we have to do what he says. We have to surrender to him. We have to quit standing on our own two feet and making our own way. Sometimes, well, actually all the time, Christians ought to be humble and falling before the Lord in humility. Christianity is more... Us saying to Jesus, your wish is my command, than it is Jesus saying to us, have it your way. And that's an understatement if there is one. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him what? Do what? Deny. If anyone desires to come after me, just say the prayer and then you can do anything you want to do and everything's going to be all right. That's not what Jesus said, is it? Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Now that lets us know right there, he's not talking about us picking up a literal cross and dying physically on that cross every day, is he? Because if he was talking like that, it would only happen one time, am I right? 
Because once you did it, you'd die. That'd be the end of it. He's not talking about a physical, literal cross and a physical, literal death. He's talking about us laying down our life and surrendering it, dying to our will, sometimes die, dying to our dreams, sometimes dying to our our ambitions and saying yes to Him and giving Him the freedom to guide and redirect our lives wherever He would choose to. So He says, let a man deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. For whoever desires to save his life, whoever desires to do it their own way, whoever desires to take the wheel and hold it themselves and direct their lives, they're going to lose their life. But whoever loses his life for my sake, whoever surrenders full control to me for my sake will save it. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 is is, uh, obviously, I think, taken probably from this, this imagery where the Bible says, I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, the scripture goes on to say. Paul said, I die daily. Obviously, he didn't die physically every day. But but the flesh, the, the desires, the drive that he had perhaps for certain things, it had to die every day. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, Paul said. He talked about, as I just said, not being conformed with this world, but being transformed. Do you know that when we are Christians, we don't walk, talk, and act like the world talks? Amen? We're supposed to be different. Visibly, uh, recognizably different. So, he says, even in the Lord's Prayer, we're taught that it's not all about us. Because Jesus says when we pray, we're supposed to pray, thy will be done. Am I right? And so, there again, it emphasizes the lordship of Christ. It's not all about us. It is all about him. It's about lordship. So I want you to notice, if you would, how Paul begins his letter to the church in Corinth. It's a church that he organized and a church that he knew personally. So we're going to read just the first few verses in the book of Corinthians. And then we're going to summarize the book in quick fashion. And then we'll close the service today. First epistle, Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, that is, separated from the others, with all who in every place call on the Name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice that compound name there. Jesus Christ our Lord. Both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. That you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for it. Now listen to the language over the next few lines. Waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who will confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I I think he wanted us to get that somehow, don't you? Lord Jesus Christ. We needed to understand that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He didn't want us to miss that. There's no way you can miss that. He repeated it five times or six times already since we started 1 Corinthians. And as I began to read through 1 Corinthians, I thought, my goodness, just I've never noticed that before. Over and over and over, 62 times in 1 Corinthians alone, he's talking about Jesus Christ our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's obviously important to him. And he's trying to drive that point home with the Corinthians as he talks to them. Now, let's, let's, because you know what? When you understand the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you understand that there are some things that are simply intolerable to him. Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and you don't do the things I say? If he's master, if he's teacher, if he's our king, if he's, if he's all those things that we talked about earlier, if he's all those things to us, then there are some things that we might tolerate in our lives, but he would say because he's the Lord, uh-uh, no way. Am I right? Or is Jesus smiling at us every day over everything we do and everything we say? And every sin that's committed and every deviation we take from the word of God, is he smiling and happy all the way through as he looks down upon his people? No, he's not. The Bible tells us that. And so he says, why do you say, Lord, Lord, to me, and you don't do what I say? And there are some things that are simply intolerable to him. And we are going to mention some of those things that are intolerable to the Lord that Paul brings up in the book of 1 Corinthians. And he wants people to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. Not just as Savior, but as Lord. If you'll notice... On the, on the back side of your sheet now, the very back side, the first thing I've got listed there is division. Well, the reason I've listed it first is because it's the first thing that Paul talked about. This is, to me, this is mind blowing. Because we pick up in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 1, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, over and over and over again. Verse 10 says, now I plead with you, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Wow. That sounds like to me it's a pretty big deal to him. And then when you go over to chapter 3, verses 1 and 3, you'll read where he called them. He said, I can't speak to you as if you were spiritual, but you're babes. You still need milk. You can't handle solid food. Why? Because there's envy and strife and divisions and you're carnal and you're guided by the flesh and not by the spirit. Now, he's talking pretty straight, isn't he? Now, don't, don't go away from here criticizing Pastor Ron. It's my job to preach the Bible. This is not my message. 
And what I want you to understand this morning, either that's not even Paul's message. That was the Lord's message. Paul was just a messenger. And that's the whole reason for this back in two different colors. Because if you look at the black print there, verse 10, now I plead with you, brethren. Those are Paul's words. But why did Paul say those words? Because the Lord had appeared to Paul and told Paul the way things would should be. And now it's Paul's job to stand up and declare what thus says the Lord. Jesus was in agreement with that in John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. See, Jesus says that's big. I mean, you can give me all kind of regulations and requirements and distinctives you want to that identify people as being Christians. But Jesus said, this is the way. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. Now, Paul is an apostle. He is a messenger. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.20 that, that the, the apostles and prophets are the, are the, the foundation of the church. And then it says with blank, blank being the chief cornerstone. Who was that blank, blank? Jesus Christ. So, Paul and the other apostles were the foundation of the church, but they, they are laid out or put in place in accordance with Jesus Christ, who was the chief cornerstone. So Paul's message is not his own message. Paul's message is the Lord's message. Paul had no message of his own. He preached what he received from the Lord. And the Lord's the one who said, by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one for another. Was, was unity important to Jesus? In John 17, the last prayer that we have that's recorded in scripture where he prayed, Jesus prayed five times in that, in that 17th chapter of John. Jesus said, Lord, I pray for these people that you've given me and for those who will come along after them. I pray that they might be one. Five times he prayed that. He turns around and prays it again. He prays it again. He prays it again. He prays it the fifth time. Pleads with the Father, Lord, please hear my cry. I want my people to be made one in you so that the world may know and so that the world can believe. So the message of Jesus was in chapter 13, 35, by this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So the Paul's message here was from what Jesus had given him had to do with division in this case. Let's move to the next example, chapter 3, verse 19. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Paul says, don't get caught up with the wisdom of this world. Don't get wrapped up in the wisdom, doing it the way other people do it, thinking like other people think. I tell you, we got no business thinking like the world thinks. Don't let the world influence your thinking. The Bible teaches us that. Because certain things may be acceptable in our culture today doesn't mean they're acceptable to God. And we cannot let our culture dictate what we believe and, and how we feel. We have to allow the word of the Lord to dictate to us what we believe and how we're going to live. Oh, how we're going to, we're going to find ourselves in big, big trouble before God if we ignore what that book says and go with what the world says. Big trouble. And so 
Paul's admonition was, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Well, Jesus is the one who said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and displease the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And we look at that and we usually say money. But I'm here to tell you that that First John says, don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. And if we try to if we try to with one hand grab a hold of the things of the world and live that way, and then on Sunday morning grab a hold of how great is our God and worship God that way, we are going to be torn apart. We're not going to, listen, we can't be truly putting Christ as Lord if we are thinking like the world thinks. Can't do it. It won't happen. So we have to think like the Lord thinks. We, we, that's the reason we have preaching on Sunday and teaching on Wednesday and children's classes because we need to understand the word of the Lord. 8,000 times in scripture, the word Lord, it's very important. We have to learn how God thinks, how God feels, what he wants for us, what he designs for us. And we're going to have to make up our own mind whether we're going to surrender to that, but we will all be held accountable for our choices according to the scripture. Worldly wisdom. What about sexual immorality? Chapter 5, verse 1, Paul said, now uh, it's been reported that there's sexual immorality among you. Not a good thing. Amen? Based on what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 27 and 28, Jesus said, well, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what we understand is what Paul looked at and what he heard was happening in the church was a violation of what Jesus had already laid out that this kind of thing is wrong and he was taking a stand based on what the Lord said. What about conflict resolution? Chapter 6 verse 1. Paul said, dare any of you? And if we were writing this today, we'd say, how dare you? How dare you, having a matter against another, how dare you go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? He said, it is an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. In other words, Christians, Christians who are are children of the same God, worship the same God, believe The word of the Lord, he said, how is it that you take your brother, another brother in the church to court? He said, that's a failure. That should not happen. Do you know what? There should not be any problem that couldn't be resolved by two people who call themselves Christians sitting down together and going before each other, talking and praying. Could I get an amen? amen? I'll tell you, now, if we get self out of the way, it won't be a problem. Mm-hmm. Now, if everybody wants to hang on and stand strong and be a man and not give in, then we might not get anywhere. But that's what Jesus said. You don't want to do that. No, you want to, you want to surrender. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies. That's Matthew 5, 44. I just noticed I left the five out. Sorry. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. 
And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, does that sound like worldly wisdom to you? No, worldly wisdom is somebody does that to you, you do it right back to them, only harder. Right? But Jesus said that's not the way it works. And Paul is reminding them, this is a shame. He says to the people in the church, you, you, you're treating each other like enemies. No. How dare you get together? Settle this before the saints. Go before the Lord in humility. Let Him melt your heart. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? That you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. I'd like to share with you today that every decision we make, every behavior, every attitude, everything should be analyzed through the lens of the Lordship of Christ. Amen. Now to put that on a to put that on a a real understandable uh, term, most of you remember years ago when these bracelets, these little plastic bracelets were very popular. It said WWJD. How many remember those? What did it mean? Do you know why somebody came up with WWJD? The Lordship of Christ. Because that's exactly what the Lordship of Christ is. When I, when I want to make Jesus Lord of my life, now I ask Him to save me and He, He writes my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. He forgives me of my sins. But like I've said, that's the starting point. That's not the finishing point. Then we begin to consciously make Him Lord. And the way we do that is by saying, in our hearts, what would Jesus do? Somebody mistreats you. They talk about you. And boy, it's under your skin and you're getting hot under the collar. You need to pause and say, what would Jesus do? And the best advice I could give you would be to respond like he did or like he would. And he was loving and forgiving was he not he's the perfect example for us that's the point he is our Lord and we follow him not the world we don't do things like the world as a matter of fact there's very little that as Christians and as a church we should do like the world who cares what the world does the Bible has laid out for us what we're supposed to do and be as Christians and it's drastically different than what the world says so what I'm going to ask you to do is to consider that today WWJD what would Jesus do they bought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery to Jesus one day And the crowd was ready to do what? Kill her. She deserves to die. 
Well, let me ask you this. Did she deserve to die according to the law? Yes. According to the law, she deserved to die. But what did Jesus say? Let the one who was among you, who has no sin, let him cast the first stone. And the Bible says they all kind of look down and walk away. And Jesus looked at that guilty woman and he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The spirit of Jesus is one of humility, is one of love, one of forgiveness. Oh, what a beautiful Savior we have. Oh, to Jesus I surrender all to Him I another verse of this song and of course and what I'm going to ask you to do is if you have a desire in your life for Jesus to truly be the Lord of your life not just a cliche not just a a phrase that we throw around but truly Jesus I want you to be the Lord of my life I want to listen to your word I want to do what you say I want to respond, Lord, the way that you would have me respond. I want to be yielded to you. I want more than just forgiveness of sins, Lord. I want to be like you. I want you to change my attitude, change my heart, change my life. I surrender all to you, Lord. And if you have that desire, we used to do this a lot. That is all gather at the front all from one wall to the other, all across the front here, and then we close in prayer. That's what we're going to do today. So you won't be the only one coming. Many of us will come. All of you are invited to come as we sing this last verse in this course. Let's do this as a sign to the Lord. We understand, Lord, we want to be a part of what you're calling us to do. All to Jesus I surrender
time. pray that you would wash us and cleanse us, that you would fill us with holy desire to do those things that are pleasing in your sight. We pray, Lord, that you would help us in the truest sense of the word. As Paul used the word saints, that we're called to be saints. We're called to be separated unto you. We're called to be holy before you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be that kind of Christian. Lord, seeking no longer to be conformed to this world. In fact, Lord, we refuse to be conformed to this world. We will not act like the world acts, talk like the world talks, go where the world goes. Lord, we want to be separated unto you. We want to please you. Lord, we want to see your glory settle down upon your people because you smile on us and you're pleased with your people because they have been surrendering to you all week long and listening to your voice. Yes, Lord, speak to us from your word. Speak to us through the Holy Spirit. Whisper in our hearts, in our minds. Help us to see what your will is. Help us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you love us. You watch over us. You care for us. But you want us to reciprocate that commitment and turn to you with our whole hearts, minds, soul, and strength. Lord, surrendering our bodies to you and walking in a way that's pleasing in your sight. Lord, you said that we cannot serve God and mammon. We can't have one one hand and leg in the world and one hand and leg in you. Lord, we're going to have to surrender to you. Pull away from the world. Oh God, transform us by the renewing of our minds, I pray. Help us to be conformed to the image of the Son of God and to be more like you. Work a work in our lives. Draw us closer to you than we've ever been. Oh Lord, by standing here and saying to you, that we want you to be Lord of our lives. We're also saying, Lord, we want you to wash us and cleanse us. Forgive us of anything in our life that's unlike you. Open our eyes to what it is you've called us to be and to become. I pray, Lord, that you would help us today. The time has come, Lord, where we cannot afford to go through life. Lord, just in a half-hearted way, living for you. The lines are being drawn in this world today. Satan is at work. There is the spirit of Antichrist at work even today. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to see what's happening. And help us to draw nearer to you. Oh Lord, help us to be in tune with you. To be awake when you call. Minister to us, we pray. Thank you for each one who has come. 
And we pray, Lord, that this right now will be only the beginning of what you do in our lives as individuals as you draw us near to you and give us an appetite for things spiritual, an appetite for righteousness. Help us to be hungry for you. Help us, Lord, to be exactly what you want us to be. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. You hear our prayers. Lord, you will hear the prayers that we're about to pray. We're going to ask you, Lord, to minister to the needs of your people. We want to thank you in advance that our prayers are heard. Because you tell us to come boldly to the throne of grace. That we might find help in time of need. And we do that today. In the name of Jesus Christ. Our Lord. And we thank you for it. In Jesus name. Amen. Tamara would you step forward. Tamara has a special prayer request. And, and we're not going to go into details. We're just going to give it to Jesus today. Is that okay? Amen. He understands right? We want God to intervene. We need a miracle. Yes. We need God to intervene on Wednesday that the Lord would minister and yes. move in this special request. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we anoint with oil according to James chapter 5. We pray the prayer of faith, believing that you will minister to this need today. Oh, God, I plead the blood of Jesus over this family and over this need, and I pray that you would work. I pray, Lord, that after Wednesday, Lord, we can shout glory and say thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. We're depending on you, Lord. Some things are bigger than we are. Some things are out of our control. And, Lord, we're asking you to take control of the situation and be Lord over it all in Jesus' name. Wrap your arms, Lord, around this mother today. Help her to feel your presence and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our prayer has been heard today. Minister in her behalf, I pray. I pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this situation. We thank you for it today. You've heard this prayer. I believe you're going to move and minister. And we thank you for it today. Blessed be your name. Let's give God a hand clap of praise for what he's going to do. By faith we praise you. By faith we praise you, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. You're a merciful God. And we love you today. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Roy Perry has prostate cancer. And it has spread to his bladder. This is a friend of Nelda. Very serious need. So I'd like for you to pray, if you would, for Roy Perry. And also Kimberly Hunley uh, has an infection under a capped tooth, uh, having a lot of pain and seeing a specialist tomorrow. Let's pray the Lord would minister to her. Anyone else have a need? If you want to just lift your hand. Now you say, well, that don't do any good because you don't know what it is. I don't need to know what it is. If God knows what it is, is that enough? Amen. So lift your hand to the Lord if you would, like you were reaching out to receive what he has for you. And let's pray. Lord, we bring these needs to you today. We reach up to receive the blessing, Lord. We thank you because you're a God who understands. There's not one need that anybody in this building has today that comes as a surprise to you. So we're asking, Lord, that you would minister to our needs as your people who are
are humbling themselves, who are surrendering to you today. We pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in every area of our lives as we surrender to you today. You're an awesome God. Hallelujah. Lord, we feel your presence even now. You're at work moving in our hearts and in our lives. And we bless your name and we give you glory. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. As we cast our care on you today, oh God, we thank you that our prayers are heard. Minister to the needs. Lord, throughout our church family, there are people who are not here today. And almost certainly they don't feel well. They're sick or they'd be here. I pray that you minister to them. Lord, for anybody who's discouraged, oh Lord, for anybody who's down, for anybody who's depressed, for anybody, Lord, who is suffering lack in their lives, we just pray that you would minister to them. Hear the cries of your people, we pray. Bless your people, we pray. Fill us with joy. Oh Lord, may your presence dwell among us in our hearts and our lives. Thank you, Lord. I sing for joy at the work of your Thank you for being in the house of the Lord today. Give somebody a hug.